Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, it's great to be with everyone. Good morning again. Hope you all had a nice week. If you don't know me, my name is Jose. I'm the campus pastor here for our West Palm Beach congregation, Community of Hope. It's great to be with everyone. Before we begin, we'd like to just give some quick announcements around what Community of Hope is doing this year for the season of Lent. In case you didn't know, the season of Lent right before Easter is really the the season that traditionally the church has used to prepare our hearts for Easter. And Lent begins traditionally with Ash Wednesday this uh, Wednesday. March 2nd. And Ash Wednesday really has been the day that the church has said, we're going we're gonna to be intentional about being repentful. We're going to be intentional about remembering our own sinfulness, remembering our, our spiritual bankruptcy. As Jesus said, blessed are the poor in, in spirit. And so really it prepares us to enter the Lenten season and remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us because Easter, the resurrection of Easter doesn't happen without the cross. And so this year, as a, well, during the pandemic, we did a number of things during this time, but this year we've crafted an at-home Lenten experience that you can do by yourself or with your family or with your small group. You get to decide, and you can find all that information at communityofhope.church forward slash Lent. The link is there up on the screen. If anyone has any questions about it or if you maybe struggle to find it online or whatnot, please, please, please reach out to me and reach out to our office. We would more than happy reach out to you and, and help you find all that information, okay? Well, anyways, grab your Bible, your journal, your COH app, however you best connect with us in this space, and we just, we're going to wrap up our series today, How Life Works. After today, we will have actually gone through pretty much the entire sermon on the mound. And man, I have been encouraged. I know many of people have shared that with me. I've personally been challenged as well, uh, both as a, as a preacher and as a preaching to my, myself, because that's frankly what I, what I do up here pretty much every single Sunday. Um, and even, I hope we've been righteously offended because I, that's what Jesus intended to do. <laughs> he intended to rock our world. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to the human understanding, his values, what he proposes. It's, it's an upside down kingdom according to really when you perceive it from this world. And so one of the reasons that I really found this, um, this series so powerful, even in my own life, is because it, it aims at the core of what everybody's looking for. You know, I think we're all in life, we're all looking for a way to, to maximize our joys and, and reduce the amount of regrets at the end of our lives. And for example, I mean, nobody, nobody wants to get to the end of their life and realize, man, I've been, I've been climbing the wrong ladder. I've been leaning up against the wrong walls. You don't want to get to the end of your life and realize that. And so really the call that our teaching team has identified to prevent this is to do life Jesus' way. Really, life works when we learn to subordinate every other identity we have to the identity of a disciple of Jesus. And if you got nothing from this entire series Absolutely nothing. Let's say you forgot every other sermon that was ever preached, or this is the first time you're here and you're catching us for the last sermon of this series. That is what we want you to take home. 
Every single identity, doesn't matter what it is, literally every single one, political, social, ethnic, sexual, your past, your present, your future, everything under the identity of a disciple of Jesus. We lay it all down. Let me tell you, that's hard work. That's painful work. But I commend you, church, that we've been able to do it openly and honestly here together as a congregation. So this weekend, however, it's our last sermon in this series. We're going we're gonna to click the wheel one last time, one more challenging lesson that Jesus brings to the table. And if you're here, it's because you're ready for it. So we're diving right in. <laughs> now, last week, last week, we, if you weren't here, we actually baptized you two young children uh, from the Mendoza family. We had a wonderful time. Now, that was the second time I did a baptism Sunday here at Community of Hope. So, because it was the second time, many of you already knew when I came in my shorts and my t-shirt, you're like, oh, it's a baptism Sunday. Okay, that's, that's fine. But again, that was the second time. Let me take you back to October, the first time we did a baptism Sunday here. First time I, I baptized someone who was also a young child and um, I, I walked in and I have my, my shorts, my, my swim trunks, my, my t-shirt, whatnot, and, and I brought shoes the second time. I had sandals the first time. <laughs> so I walk in and there's this one particular woman with her husband. She had visited before and she, this is the first time her husband was coming. I think, I think she was trying to make a good impression. <laughs> you guys know where this is going, don't you? So she, she knew that normally preachers at Community of Hope didn't wear shorts, t-shirts, and sandals to, to preach. So she gently comes up to me, and her husband's like right behind her. Psst, what's up with the shorts? I'm like, it's a baptism Sunday. Look at the baptismal. I'm going to be in the water. It makes most sense for me to come in the swim trunks already and then just change when I go up to the sermon. And she goes, she gives this huge sigh of relief. Oh my goodness, I didn't know how to explain it to my husband. I thought you had gone crazy or something. See, see, husband, you know, you know, preachers don't normally wear shorts and sandals to church on Sundays. They usually wear their jeans and whatnot. Now, as I reflected on in that moment, I mean, obviously, it must have been my really muscular legs that just provoked <laughs> that response. I mean, why are you guys laughing? I mean, it's true. I'm going to let that one sit in. I'm going to let that one sit in. I'm not bringing shorts next time. I'm coming in jeans. Coming in a full suit. Actually, that young kid on October came in a full suit. I might do that. <laughs> you know, this, this is a funny example. But it shows a deeper truth. The, reason, the real reason I bring it up, not just to make you laugh. It's, it shows that we all, we all make judgments, right? The things that we perceive. Big or, or small. Sometimes we keep them to ourselves. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we whisper and nudge. <laughs> the scripture that we're going to read this morning, Jesus brings this very topic up about judgment. What we're supposed to do with it. How and when we're supposed to use this tool that can be used for good and edification, but can also hurt and damage. And I'm going to let the text speak for itself. We're preaching, on a ser- we're preaching a sermon on a sermon. So we're going to let Jesus' sermon do the speaking in this point. So would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read from verses 1 through 6. And we're going to jump to verses 13 through 23. And we already preached in that middle portion. 
on prayer. So I'll give you guys a second to pull it up. It's on the screen. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw away your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Verse 13 says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And by their fruit, you will recognize them. Sorry we don't have the lyrics. If if it's helpful for you, sometimes I like to close my eyes. The words on the screen, I'm sorry. Sometimes I like to close my eyes and absorb and listen to the lyrics if I can't read them. So if you don't have your Bibles, I encourage you to do that. I'm gonna start in verse 15 again. It says this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and it's thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Verse 21 says this. This is, this is probably one of the scariest verses in the whole entire Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we read these words and we're just, we're challenged by, um, Lord, how solemn they are. The severity, Lord, of, of, of the implications of, of your message here on judgment. Lord, on authenticity. Lord, we, um, we ask you that you help us in this moment to just take one step forward. We ask, us to, we ask you 
to help us open our hearts to hear from you. Would you take us in? Would we feel your warm embrace and the soft sound of sandaled feet in this very moment? We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to start off today with just two questions. How many of you have ever felt like you've been judged? (laughs) Hands held high. Now, how many of you ever feel like you've judged somebody else? Whether you've said it or not, there's some real honest people in the room. That's all those hands go up real high. (laughs) If we're honest, every one of us judging, (laughs) it's been done to us and we've done it to other people. Sometimes they're small and insignificant judgments like legs and shorts. Some judgments, however, I'm not going to drop that one, by the way. Some judgments, however, they, they leave lasting memories. They destroy relationships. It reminds me of the main excuse why so many people don't come to church. You probably know it already. You've probably heard, I don't come to church because Christians are too what? They're too judgmental. Now, here's the, the challenge I find with this topic. I don't think we fully comprehend this idea of judging. At its core, judging carries with it the idea to select, to to pick out, to to discriminate between things. Here in in the text, really to, it implies to condemn, to, to pass a sentence. And in particular, here Jesus is talking about judgment measured real strongly against hypocrisy, which is measuring somebody else to a standard that you don't even measure yourself to. And like we just identified, it's probably the number one reason that people in our culture, actually probably people along the centuries, have have not identified Jesus or not wanted to identify Jesus as their Lord, as their friend as their savior. Because all too often they have found that people who do tend to be hypocritical and measure and give an unjust measurement to people that they don't give themselves. On the other hand, I think everybody here knows, we can safely assume that we need to engage in some sort of judging, right? We need to engage in some sort of discrimination between right and wrong. It's actually how we grow in our faith. It's actually how we identify what we need to subordinate in our lives under the identity of Jesus. But this tension of understanding the don't judge me, but also the constructive criticism of growing in our faith and walking in the way of Jesus is, I think, a tension that the church has not managed all too well in our culture. And today, I want to help us reclaim, really, this, this idea, this biblical concept of judging, as Jesus talks about it. I want to I take you on a journey with me through Jesus' words here in Matthew 7. I want to move the needle forward just a little bit on this final conversation that we're having in this series. So here, Jesus' initial thoughts on judging starts with this. He says, he says don't do it. He says, don't judge, kind of like, You would not milk a rattlesnake? He says, don't judge. Look at Matthew 7, verses 1 through 3, one more time, just to get a little bit of context, where Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, 
you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Strong words. Now, at first glance, I think we, we read this and it sounds a, a little bit confusing. Jesus says, don't judge. But then later on, he tells us to look at people's fruit, tells us to judge others. What is Jesus talking about here? Is Jesus saying that we should never use critical faculties to discern? No. Is Jesus telling us we should never judge between right and wrong? No. Because like I said, when you read later in the passage, he talks about judging. So what is he talking about here? I'll tell you, Jesus is talking about fault finders. Jesus is talking about people who are ungenerous with other people's mistakes. And they're extremely generous with their own mistakes. And you know why that's hypocritical? Because we Christians, we were forgiven by grace to begin with. The Lord was generous with our mistakes. And when we're not generous with other people's mistakes, it makes us automatically hypocritical. And this is actually why we as a Christian church, as the Christian church, capital C, we should never judge people who do not proclaim the name of Jesus. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through the first half of 13. He says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church, he says. In other words, people who don't profess the name of Jesus, who don't belong to the Christian church, are you not to judge those inside? He says God will judge those outside. So to be clear, Paul is saying that we should never judge people outside the church. It's not our job, church. It is God's job to judge them. Now, if you still struggle with, with this concept of not judging people outside the church, let me just illustrate for you a little for a second. This is exactly what we're doing when we judge people outside the church. For, for example, um, as you all know, I have a newborn baby and everybody here would, would think, <laughs> thank you, my friend. <laughs> Three hours of sleep tonight, guys. Three hours. You can clap to that. <laughs> because I need to stay awake, so, you know. Um, everybody here would think I would be the worst father in the world if I would say, I'm going to leave my baby unattended the whole night because obviously normal human beings feed themselves. You would say, well, yeah, but he's a baby. You'd immediately, everybody here would be calling Department of Children and Family on me right now. Right now. And they'd be knocking at my door. Why? Because he's a baby. He doesn't have the faculties or the ability to feed himself yet. And in the same way, this applies to the church. They don't have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is not a self-empowered life. It's a Holy Spirit-empowered life. It's exactly what it is. And actually... Heck, Christians, we struggle to live the Christian life, don't we? We do. And we have the Holy Spirit. And that's why they call us hypocritical, because we say it, but we don't live it. How much more can we expect from somebody who doesn't profess the name of Jesus? And I'm not saying that people who don't know Jesus aren't good people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is the application of the Sermon on the Mount for people who self-identify 
as followers of Jesus, we can't judge people against that criteria. Really, what we have to do is we can differentiate between right and wrong. We can maybe disagree with a lifestyle choice, but we have to extend love. We have to extend grace. It reminds me of a a story of of a woman by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. I don't know if you've heard of her, but Rosaria Butterfield was actually once a lesbian college professor at Syracuse University, and now... Now she's a pastor's wife at a very theologically conservative church, and her journey to faith is nothing short of amazing, which I actually want to tell you about right now. In 1997, after she wrote a scathing article against a Christian Christian conference that happened in her area, a pastor in town by the name of Pastor Ken Smith, um, he sent a letter to her, not judging her, not calling her names. It wasn't a fire and brimstone letter. It was, come to my house and let's have dinner. I would love to meet you. And she was so in awe. She just, at first she didn't know what to do with it. She threw it away. And then she, in an interview, she remarks that she actually picked it up again and she decided to accept the invitation. And their interaction eventually grew from a friendship to a redemptive relationship. She she said this about Pastor Ken and his wife, Floyd. She said this, I felt that when Ken extended his hand to me in friendship, it was safe for me to close mine and his. Isn't that such a beautiful statement? She said, I wasn't Ken's project. I was Ken's neighbor. Notice the, the words that she's using there. This wasn't friendship evangelism. This was just friendship. You see, through consistent love and care from Pastor Ken and his wife, Rosaria was gradually exposed to a holy God who, yes, did not approve of sin, but was radically calling her home and opening her arms to her. What's interesting is that she remarks that the pastor never forcibly, like, gave her the the systematic version of of the gospel. He never forced her to come to church or anything. He just said, hey, read your Bible. See who Jesus really is. And she gave her life to Jesus. She literally gave her life to Jesus. And not only that, now she's, she's married to a pastor doing ministry. That is the work of our Lord who can do amazing things when we decide and choose not to judge those who don't believe and extend love and grace. And so, church, as I read scripture, I see we only have one play before God and really before our, our pre-Christian friends. And we use that language, pre-Christian, because everybody has the opportunity to become a Christian, right? Our only play is to live a spiritually curious life that leads people to the grace and compassion of Jesus and so that's, that's all we got. And I believe, I believe if we knew the power of God through the love and grace that we show people, we would live it. And I challenge you to do that and live it and see the love of lost people that Jesus has. And you'll quickly realize that that is enough. Now, here's where we go one level up because Jesus says first, hey, don't judge, don't do it. But now on the other hand, he says, do judge. You need to judge on occasion. Look at Matthew 7, 15 through verse 20, where Jesus says again, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them, Jesus says. So again, at first glance, he says, is he contradicting himself? Do not judge, but now recognize people by their their fruits. Hmm. Notice who Jesus is calling us to watch out for. He's saying, watch out for false prophets, for people who claim to be of God but are not of God, for people who claim the identity disciple of Jesus but do not belong to the way of Jesus. He says, you're going to know these people by their fruit. And by their fruit, really, he's, he's using that imagery to say, you're going to know them by the way they live. You're going to know them by a person's actions. And so, well, I think the common assumption in the room is that judging is inherently a bad thing. I think many people would say that. Judging is always a a bad thing. There are moments where you do need to judge, where you do need to discriminate, decipher, and discern. Think with me for just a moment, if you don't agree, about how often we actually do this on a day-to-day basis. For example, we do this all the time with our food. You judge the labels in the supermarket because you want to put good stuff into your body, right? Some of you don't, but <laughs> I do. <laughs> Some of us don't. <laughs> you should. Trust me. Talk to me afterwards. <laughs> Parents, sometimes, or all the time, you look at the schools that you're going to send your kids or the educational system. You're trying to judge homeschool, private school, public school. You want your kid to have the best. So you put them in the best that you think there is. I think of myself every Sunday morning. I tell Giselle, judge me. Judge how I look because I do not want to make a fool of myself on Sunday. And you bet she doesn't leave out any punches. <laughs> one day she, I, I came up with my, one of my favorite shirts. Really, She said, please throw that away. He said, just... <laughs> Just throw it in the trash. I'm not even, even going to entertain that one. Let me tell you, she's, she's saved me quite a few times. For everybody here, you're judging my words right now. You're judging whether to see if what I'm saying is biblical and true. Because there are so many communicators out there. You and I, we all know them. We don't have to even say names who have manipulated and abused people by misinterpreting the scriptures on purpose for their own agenda. And I commend you for judging my words. I want you to do that. I really do. Because you need to protect your heart and your mind from false teaching. Judging can be a good and necessary thing for our spiritual growth. And really within the context of scripture, we see that happening in two spaces primarily. Number one, we start off with judging ourselves. We all need to do that. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself, he says. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Here's the, here's the kicker. Unless, of course, 
you fail the test. See, part of the work that I think it is to be a disciple of Jesus is to examine our hearts on a daily basis. One of the prayers that I, that I pray most often in my own prayer life is, Lord, would you, would you reveal to me the things that I don't even know don't please you? We all have them. There's a moment, there's only so much that we can introspect, right? That we can see within ourselves. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to you. Begin by judging yourself. But now let me make a quick note on what I mean by judging yourself. The kind of judgment that I'm referring to here isn't one like shame yourself. Just feel guilty all the time. You know, give yourself a false sense of humility. That's not what I'm talking about. The judgment I'm talking about is a a judgment, a a critiquing, a constructive critiquing that helps you grow. And as a pastor, I've I've realized that so many people in the church don't ultimately mature. And by church, I mean capital C, Christian church, right? Don't ultimately mature into mature disciples of Jesus because we haven't learned how to self-examine. We haven't arrived at self-awareness. But secondly, while we should never judge people outside the church, as we previously said, Jesus says we need to judge people inside the church. And here's what I mean by that. We're to keep, we're to keep each other accountable. We're, to here, we're here to call each other out in love. And actually, when you make the partnership vow, that's exactly what you're doing. You're saying, I want to be accountable to a community of faith. I want people who love Jesus to help me walk in his way. That's what your small group is for. The people who know you and see you on a weekly basis, the people who are growing alongside you, you have to give them permission to speak into your life. And if you haven't, that's a very dangerous thing because there's gonna be a lot of things in your own life that will go missed and unnoticed. Paul gives a great practical example of this in Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Jot this down so you can study it later, but I'd love to just read it real quick here before time runs out. Paul says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so I think the, the question that we arrive at is, Jesus says don't judge sometimes. Jesus says now judge when appropriate. The question now is, well, how do we judge? How do we do it? And I think the solution is a little bit simpler than we want to make it sometimes. That you judge the very way it's most helpful for you. And how is it most helpful for you? When people judge you with mercy, when people judge you with mercy, I think of the story of the woman caught in adultery. In John chapter eight, there's a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. And Pharisees, they come and they, they take her around and Jesus there and they're sort of testing Jesus with this scenario. And, and they want to stone her. And Jesus says this, he who hath no sin, throw the first stone. They all dropped their stones and they left. And I loved the end of the story where Jesus says, where are all those who condemn you? She says, they've all left. Nobody condemns me. Jesus says, neither, neither do I. He judged her with mercy and said, leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. He had mercy. He forgave her. 
and helped her leave her life of sin. And that's exactly what we're called to do. We're to judge with truth, not on our own bias. We're to judge with the right having been earned by the way that we treat people. Because it's the way that you treat people on a daily basis if they're going to give you permission to speak into their life. Believe it or not. We're to judge with long-suffering because people will always continue to make mistakes. And that's how Jesus calls us to judge. And so as we close, not just this this sermon, but this whole series, we want to provide an opportunity for everybody to respond, again, not just to the sermon, but to the entire series as a whole. Our theme verse has been Matthew 7, 24, which right after that passage, Jesus says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And that's exactly what our prayer is, that you would live out Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as you walked in, you should have received a, a three-by-five card. And what we, we want to, to do with that card is if you would just, as the band is, is going to play one final song, if you want to remain seated um, and just prayerful and be, be pensive about what is it that Jesus is calling you to subordinate under him today? What is it? What identity is it? What thing in your life is it? You don't have to write if you don't want to. There's something powerful about the act of writing. There's something about it. But if you don't want to write, that's totally fine. But I would just, it's about the heart. Would you think about it at least? And the altar's going to be open and we would would really invite everybody. Come, bring your cards. Kneel down and pray to our Heavenly Father. Subordinate whatever it is under the identity, disciple of Jesus. And he will help you do that. He wants to help you do that. He wants you to draw one step closer to him. So church, would you just, would you pray with me? Jesus, in this moment, we thank you. We thank you for the love and the mercy that you give us, even in your judging. In your judgment of us, you came down and you died. (laughs) Your word says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, and I think our prayer today is that you would, you would give us that same mentality. At the same way you reached out to us, would you help us to reach out to others? Would you help us to judge in mercy, in grace, in forgiveness, with the aim of restoration? Lord, and for those of us who have a hard time with this culture, would you help us to not to judge? Would you help us to come alongside, to hold hands? Lord, not giving in on our values and and our belief and our faith in you. Lord, but representing you by the very love that you've given us. Lord, would you speak to each and every person in this room? Would you help them identify whatever's in their life, whatever's in my own life, whatever needs to be subordinated under you? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The altar's open. Amen. Amen. I pray that you've been encouraged and challenged by this series, How Life Works. Would you go and do it? Would you practice the words that Jesus gave us in his very own sermon on the Sermon on the Mount? Would you live them out on a day-to-day basis? Live as a light, as he called us to live, as a disciple of Jesus, our main identity.
in his kingdom. Church, would you, uh, would you close your eyes, extend your hands forward, receive this blessing, our main verse, our theme verse for our church, Romans 15, 13, where Paul writes, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, go with God. God bless. We'll see you next week.